Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi jama'in. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Ar-Rahmanirrahim maliki yawmiddin. Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. Ihdina sirata al-mustaqim. Sirata al-ladhina an'amta alayhim. Ghayri al-maghdubi alayhim walad-dallin. I recited Surah Al-Fatiha. And I want to start today uh, with a note from Surah Al-Fatiha that many people notice. Um, it, it had to be a sheikh. An imam had to show me this and, and, and explain to me, you see this in Surah Al-Fatiha? I said, oh yeah, that's right. Surah Al-Fatiha, first we talk to Allah and we tell Allah who he is and we thank him. And then we say, guide us. Only you, we worship, and only you, we ask for help. So it's a community dua. We are asking Allah together. And we are meant to help each other connect to Allah as a community. And that's very important and very profound. Allah knows that He, he wants Surah Al-Fatiha to be recited the most of all the Qur'an. And he has packaged Surah Al-Fatiha to be the perfect du'a, the all-comprehensive du'a that we make, and that, that du'a will, co- will cover everything. And it, it includes our relationship with Allah and how we, should, how we should feel about our relationship with Allah and how to ask. And so he knows for a fact that if we don't do it together, we will not achieve it. And then he teaches us how to do it together. He teaches us that we're going to do it together, connecting them together by two things before the dua. The first thing is that we realize that we cannot achieve anything without the help of Allah. Actually, that's the second thing. The first thing is that we realize that everything we do, we should do it for Allah. We should do it for the goal of pleasing Allah. And then the second thing is everything we do, we cannot achieve it. We cannot get any results except with the help of Allah. And then after that, we ask Allah to guide us. So that's the topic of today's uh, short talk, inshallah. Unity and community. And I'll, you know, I'll talk about peace also. So I think it, it, it's relevant that the first thing we should talk about is how as soon as the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam arrived in Medina, just to give you the context, uh, the people of Mecca were oppressing him and his, the Muslims following him, his companions in Mecca, for over 10 years. And it got to a point where it was not a sustainable life. He, there was a threat on his life. There was an assassination attempt. So he left. But before he left, he had told all his companions he had arranged for them to go to Medina. So when he arrives, he's actually one of the last ones to arrive in Medina. The other Sahaba, most of them were already in Medina. They were waiting for him. And so he arrives, and not immediately as he arrives, but very soon after he arrives, he gives instructions to, for people. He tells people, look, this is what you're going to do. Afshu salam wa 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 he says, make sure that you spread salam, that you feed others or you give food, and that you try your best to connect to Allah at night when everybody else 
is normally sleeping. You will enter Jannah with peace, in peace. Now, the first item here, spread peace, doesn't mean that you just say assalamu alaikum. Of course, that's part of it, to say assalamu alaikum, but we have to mean it and we have to act in a way that will help to spread peace. If you want to say, if you tell a person peace be upon you, you have to act in a certain way so that that person feels peaceful with you. And that has to do with the unity. Then when you break bread together, when family or community break bread together, it just develops the bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood among the people. And the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he, he received his instructions from Allah. Allah inspired him to say this. And look at what we find, you know, scientists and, and, and people who analyze societies, they know for a fact that there was nothing better for him to say when he arrived. There was nothing more important to focus on than to unite the people of the community and bring peace among the community. So he didn't actually just say this when he arrived. He arranged for many things to happen that would develop the brotherhood, that would develop the bond in the community when he arrived and develop peace. So he signed a, a peace treaty and um, it would be, you could almost consider it a constitution, except it would be ahead of its time because there were no constitutions back in the days where all the people of Medina are one community, including the Jewish settlements that were there, the Jewish tribes, all are one community and each has their right to their freedom of religion. This is amazing, subhanAllah. And he also developed, you know, he appointed for Muslims to develop brotherhood amongst each other. He didn't just say, okay, all of you develop brotherhood and develop the bonds of brotherhood. He actually said, okay, you and you, you work on brotherhood and you and you, you work on brotherhood. He went practically one by one to help the people develop this bond of brotherhood, subhanAllah. So the, these are the people who were able to fend off the enemy when they were outnumbered the first time in Badr, the second time in Al-Khandaq, and then on and on and on and on through Islamic history. Every time they were able to defend themselves and survive, the community was able to survive even though they were widely outnumbered, subhanAllah. So this is what Rasulullah focused on when he arrived in Medina. But any socialist, any politician knows that you can't just say it for people to live by it. You can't just tell people to live a certain way and they're just going to do it. It's not going to happen. So the life of Rasulullah shows us the commitment and the wisdom that he displayed and the patience that he displayed for the next 10 years to address one by one all the different issues that were popping up that people didn't realize that they weren't actually, they were saying things and doing things that weren't developing the brotherhood and he had to just continue on. It wasn't just a one-time, let's do it, and everybody did it. Everybody made efforts, but he had to teach them and he had to, it's such a beautiful history when you look at his, his sirah, how he developed the bond of brotherhood between the Sahaba and he, he rewired their thinking to think community, to think wider than the tribes that they used to live in. Because this was the mentality back in the days. It was my tribe, my family, and who cares about the rest? 
So there's many incidents where he had to correct the Sahaba who were just, they were stuck in their ways. They weren't thinking community. They were thinking my own tribe. Like nowadays, some people are thinking my own country or my own, uh, my, the, own the place I came from. He had to change their way of thinking. So we have the incident where Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu, it slipped out of his mouth and he said to Bilal radiallahu anhu, he said, son of a black woman. And Bilal got upset and he was offended by this statement. So he went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and Rasulullah very with a lot of wisdom, very wisely explained to Abu Dhar, the reason you would say this is because there's still an element of ignorance. The, the, the backwards way that you were living, there's still an element of that. You have to fix it. And Abu Dhar was very, you know, he wanted to fix it on the spot. SubhanAllah. Another incident happened that they were on an expedition and there was an ambush. They were attacked. And at the end, Rasulullah he asks, who have we lost? And so the different people, they named the few people who had died because of the attack. And he kept saying, no, but we have lost more. And each tribe, each group identified with their own group. And they said, we've lost this person, that person. And they were all thinking, nobody knew who else there was. Nobody knew who it was. And he, Rasulullah he said, no, I have lost Julaybib. And Julaybib didn't belong in any tribe. He, he, didn't, he didn't belong anywhere. Nobody identified him to belong to their community. So nobody even realized that he, was, he had died in the, in the battle. SubhanAllah. So this is how Rasulullah taught the Muslims to live together. And he taught them that this unity and the way to develop the bonds of brotherhood is the only way that you can achieve peace. SubhanAllah. Now let's, let's move on to the topic of, of peace that Rasulullah developed and that the Qur'an focuses on so heavily. So, when Rasulullah came back to Mecca 10 years after the Hijrah, or I'm sorry, eight years after the Hijrah, when he came back to Mecca eight, eight years later, we said that he was basically expelled. There was an assassination attempt. And even after that, even once they had moved to Medina, the, the people of Mecca kept on attacking and they wanted to completely wipe out the Muslims in Medina. After that, you know, that background, those 20 years of being fought against, Rasulullah comes back to Mecca and the people are scared. The people are all hiding inside their houses and they're getting ready for the, for the slaughter because that was the way things were done. That's the way things were done before Rasulullah and that's the way things were done also in the pagan societies even after Rasulullah People were scared. But then he displayed such a high level of humility and peace that slowly the people started coming out of their houses and he asked them, what do you think I'm going to do with you today? Now, he's talking to people who have attacked him, killed some of his companions, waged war against him. They went to battle to wipe out all the Muslims. And he's asking them, what do you think I'm going to do? And they reply, such a noble brother, son of such a noble brother, is definitely going to treat us well. And he says, today I'll tell you 
what Yusuf Prophet Yusuf told his brothers who had tried to kill him, dumped him in the well, made him had to, you know, he was gone in Egypt. He grew up away from his parents and his family. His brothers are coming back and he told them, there is nothing upon you now. I don't have anything against you now. Go in peace. Subhanallah. May Allah forgive me and forgive you. You are free to go. Rasulullah tells the people of Mecca, you're free to go. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This message of peace, this message of community, is how Islam developed so quickly after that in Arabia. Within two years, within two years, all of Arabia was Muslim because of this message of peace. They had never known this in their life before. It was tribe. It was defend your tribe. If somebody does anything to your tribe, you would go to war against that tribe. He, he brought such a message of unity and peace that everybody just jumped in. This is what they wanted for their lives. Subhanallah. And so we see this from there, from the life, the life of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We see this throughout the rest of Islamic history. Now, of course, there were some slips. I'm not going to say Muslims were perfect from you know, the year 632 all the way till now. There has been slips in, in Muslim history, but overall, you look at the history of the Muslim expansion and the Muslim civilizations under the different khulafa, and you find this, this concept of peace and community. You find that wherever the Muslims went and conquered lands, the people there were free to practice their own religions as long as they weren't pagans, as long as they weren't following pagans. So if they were Christians or Jews, different branches of Christianity, they could practice their religions. We find that in the countries that the Muslims conquered, expressions of faith, of non-Muslim faith, increased. There was more churches. There was more expression of Christian life and Jewish life. Subhanallah. The Jewish knew all the way until the Second World War that Muslims are people that you are safe with. Subhanallah. So that, you know, Albania in Eastern Europe saved thousands of Jews by welcoming them in their country while the, the, you know, the war of Hitler was going on. And all the Jews were saved from Spain by going to Morocco centuries before that. And still to this day, you can't tell between a Muslim Moroccan and a Jewish Moroccan. They sound the same, they speak the same Arabic, but a lot of the Moroccan population is Jewish. Because when Muslims came, they gave freedom of religion, and they gave peace, and they brought peace wherever they went. Two incidents that I want to share with you that will help to reflect that. The first one is the conquest of Jerusalem. But conquest doesn't do justice to what really happened. Umar ibn al-Khattab, it was under his khalifa that uh, the Muslims entered Jerusalem which is a Christian city, or was a Christian city at the time. And they come in, and there is no fight. There's no battle. There's no taking away people's rights. And Umar ibn al-Khattab is invited to come because they said, we don't want to turn in the city to anyone else than the Khalifa himself. So they had to summon him to come so that they could enter, so that the Muslims could enter the city. 
And Umar ibn al-Khattab does the journey with just one companion to come with him. And you know, you can't, you, traveling in the desert, one person is, is dangerous. So just the two of them. No royal escort, you know, no guards, no soldiers, just one, him and his companion. And they had said that they would alternate. They would alternate and use the camel one at a, at a time. They would take turns to, to ride on the camel. So the people of Jerusalem are so, they're in awe at the spectacle that they're seeing when they see Umar ibn al-Khattab enter. Just like the people of Mecca were in awe when they saw Rasulullah enter, making sujood on his camel, facing down with the, the face looking at the ground as he's entering Mecca. Uh, Umar ibn al-Khattab comes to Jerusalem and he's the one walking. And his companion, which you would consider his servant, is the one riding the camel. SubhanAllah. And they're dressed about the same way. He didn't wear any royal thobe or anything. SubhanAllah. That same city there was that the Muslims entered in such peace and established freedom of religion after that in the city. That same city, when the Crusaders came and took the city under the, the, the Frank Godefroy de Bouillon, it was a complete massacre. All the Christians and Jews and Muslims in the city were massacred, except the ones who were Trinitarian Christians. SubhanAllah. So that's one incident that I wanted to share. And the second one is a very interesting architectural fact. Uh, the, the name of the Ottoman architect who built so many of the different masajid in Turkey and then in the whole Ottoman Empire, including Eastern Europe, his name was Sinan. And Sinan built every mosque. His architecture was inspired by the architecture that he found in Turkey. And we're talking about no other building than Hagia Sophia, the very famous mosque in Istanbul, which was back in the days uh, Constantinople and Byzantium. SubhanAllah. That is a church. That it looks like a masjid today. We identify that building to look like a masjid, but the building that you see is actually, a ch it was built as a church or a, ca a cathedral. It was built in 532, which was a time that the, you know, the, the Byzantine Empire was Christian. And when the Muslims came, they didn't just change the building to make it look Muslim. They actually used the design of the building that was Christian, and they used that to, to build every mosque, every masjid that they went to. So now you have historians that go through all the places where the Ottoman Empire was, and they, they look at buildings, and they say that, you know, because the, when the Christians conquered these countries, they changed the masjid into churches again, but you can't recognize that it was a masjid. They made them look like churches. They didn't keep them the way the building was. So historians go and they say, if the, if the church is faced towards the Qibla, that means it used to be a masjid before that. And the irony of it, for those who are following and can understand this, the irony of it is that the Christians who came to Eastern Europe and other places that the Ottoman Empire was, the Christians who reconquered these lands and changed the masajid and made them look Christian, they didn't realize that the, the look that they had, the masajid, were designed to look like Hagia Sophia, which was a Christian building originally. And so these are two incidents that show how the message of Islam, of unity and community that Rasulullah started, sallallahu alayhi wasallam started in Mecca and Medina, that message is what has driven the Muslims to bring peace and unity in the whole world. Do not ever let any social media, media or anything 
convince you otherwise. Islam is a religion of peace in the text. Islam is a religion of peace in the seerah of Messenger of Allah and Islam is a religion of peace even in the historical facts. Don't let anybody convince you otherwise. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, nashhadu wa la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.